Welcome to the Unity Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. In today's episode, Senior Pastor Heath Bauer brings a message from the Faith Foundation series. Through this series, we are looking at church governance. In our message today, we are checking out the role of the deacon. And you can follow along with us in the Bible, starting in Acts chapter 6. Stay with us to the end to find out how you can connect to Unity Baptist Church. message to that song is Jesus paid it all, which means there's nothing left for me to pay. We don't come to God on the basis of our good works. God does not love me more than somebody else because I, uh, I come to church or I give or I serve or I do other things. God loves me and accepts me right where I'm at because of Jesus Christ. That love and acceptance that we're looking everywhere else in the world, it, it comes through Jesus. And I pray this morning that you've come in here with an awareness and understanding that Jesus paid for your sins and paid for mine. If you don't know that Jesus, friends, we want to invite you to receive and to understand the love and acceptance that we currently have, not based upon who we are, not because we're better than anybody, but simply because of what Jesus did for us. That wasn't the sermon, though. So uh, this morning, instead, we have something very fun and special prepared for you, right? Uh, it's time for another exciting episode of everybody's favorite subject, church governance. Amen. I know, you're, I'm feeling it too. I'm very excited about that. How is the church? But we have to talk about these things, right? Uh, I mean, it, it doesn't rank up there. Nobody's asking for the tapes on these things. It, tapes, we don't even do tapes. Uh, CDs or MP3s or whatever we're doing. Uh, it doesn't rank up there with five ways on how to better love your wife. You know, people aren't checking this one out. Uh, but we need to know what a church is and what it does and how it operates. We've talked about the two ordained positions within the church already. Uh, you should know it by now. You have the elders and deacons, elders also called pastors and overseers, uh, interchangeable terms for the same office, and we have deacons. We, their qualifications, remember, are exactly the same except for Pastors have to be apt to teach. Why? Because elders are those that we lay hands on and set aside who are gifted in the areas of, of uh, speaking gifts, speaking, teaching, preaching, uh, administration, that kind of thing. And deacons are those that we set aside for those who are most of us, who are most of us have serving gifts. And so we set them aside uh, to be deacons. The word uh, deacon is sounds like the Greek word uh, diakonos, okay, which means to serve. And the first reference to what a deacon does, which is what we're talking about today, what does a deacon do? After all, uh, some of you may not know. Uh, so the first term where this is used in the New Testament, diakoneo, referring to what a deacon does, is in Acts chapter 6. So if you have your Bible, please open up to Acts chapter 6. This is the first reference to deacons. Just to give you a little bit of context building up to this, remember that by Acts 6, we in Acts 2, we had the day of Pentecost. The church was birthed. It was first born. And it was born with power. And thousands came to belief in Jesus Christ and came together and were a part of this church and were committed, right? But only a year and some change later, guess what we're going to find in the church? Problems. What kind of problems do you think? The same kind of problems that exist everywhere that humans are, okay? There's interpersonal conflict. 
Can that ever happen in a church? Only any church that has humans, okay? It happens everywhere you go. It happens on your job, happens in a grocery store, happens at your house. There's gonna be interpersonal conflict. It's gonna happen. So what do we do to protect the unity of the church? We have deacons. So we're gonna look at Acts 6, the first reference to what deacons do. And we also know that these are talking about deacons because later on in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and Philippians 1, it's gonna use the names of some of these guys and it's going to attribute to them the title of deacon. So here we see the foundation of the office of deacon in Acts chapter 6. Because of this interpersonal problems, we see number one, the need for deacons. Why do we need deacons in a church? We're gonna find out. Verse 1, it says, now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, what did we just say? Pentecost, explosive growth, thousands of people being added to the church. Because of that, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because the widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Now, we've got to pause here for a second. What's a Hellenist? No, it's not someone who loves Helen, Jamie. Did you fail history? Okay, so, no, it's a Hellenist. Remember what those are? Uh, it's, it's talking about Greek culture. Uh, uh, we get the term Hellenist from the word Hellasian, which means to speak Greek. And so the Hellenization of the world was during about the 300s BC to about 31 AD when the Greek culture filled the world. Everybody spoke Greek. It was Hellenized. Uh, everybody was uh, into Greek culture, Greek religion, Greek philosophy, Greek worldview. Everything was Greek, okay? And so you have the Hellenists in the church. Hellenists were Jews who had been Greekized, okay? Is that a word? Jamie told me it was a word, so uh, sorry I'm picking on you today, Jamie. Uh, but uh, okay. <laughs> you heard it here. Okay, they were made Grecian, okay? They had Greek thoughts, they had Greek worldviews, they, uh, they ate moussaka and gyros, and, the, and they weren't like the rest of the Jews. The Hebrews, they were very different. When we say the Hebrews, we're talking about Jews who were Jewish Jews. They, they grew up in Israel, they, had, they spoke Hebrew, they had Hebrew worldview and Hebrew religion. And so we start putting Hellenized Jews in with those who are died in the wool Hebrew. I'm a real Hebrew of the Hebrews. What's happening? Conflict of worldviews. And now we have problems and they're striking up against each other. So we have Hellenists and Hebrews and they're not getting along in church. Now during that time, we see obviously too that the church had food distribution. We talked previously about the role of widows. Those who were widows indeed, family wasn't there to help them. So the church brought them food. What was the problem? Some of those distributing food in the church weren't giving the daily portion out to whom? The Hellenists, their widows. They're like, oh, that Greek widow over there, let the Greeks handle her. We're going to give the food over to the Hebrews, those who are truly Jews. Is that a problem in the church? You have a problem with that? I sure do. It's called partiality. Okay? The Bible doesn't use the term racism, by the way. It uses the term partiality. Partiality means I show favoritism to you, or I treat you poorly based upon some external factor. You're rich, your race, or something like that. Well, there was partiality in the church, and God calls it sin. It's wrong. We've got to address this issue of partiality. You're ignoring these, these Grecian-type cultured Jews. And so they need their food like everybody else. And so right now, the church has division. Is it a problem when there's division in the church? It's enormous. Friends, when there's division, there's distraction. 
We can't move forward as a church to do our job if there's division amongst the body of Christ. And that's the first reason that we chose Jews or chose the deacons is because there was division in the church. And so we need people here who can fix this problem, who can help preserve and maintain the unity of the church together. Because if we don't have unity as a family, friends, we can't share the gospel. We can't disciple. We can't invite the neighbors, you know, lost people come into the church and they see infighting in the church and they're saying, I can get that over at uh, food fair. You know, I can get over that over, you know, working out at Marathon or wherever you're working, you know. I can get that on the job. I can go home and, and you listen to people fight. Don't want to come to church, you know. And people determine, well, God is obviously not present because there's infighting in the church. And so deacons were, were brought about to help solve that and to settle down the church so that we can move forward again. So the solution was, verse 2, it says, And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples. The twelve, by the way, we're talking about the twelve apostles. In Acts, they had not yet fully transitioned from apostles and prophets to deacons and elders like we have today. This is a slow part of this process. So the twelve, they summoned the full number of the disciples, all the people of the church, and they said this, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. He's saying that you're making, if, if elders have to be both elders and deacons, that's not right. It's impossible. I can't do all the preaching, teaching, administrative gifts and do all the service activities and maintain the unity of the church at the same time. We're getting worn out. And if you don't have deacons in a church, and if you don't have good deacons in a church, you're going to burn through pastors because they're going to get tired. They can't do everything. They're not supposed to do everything. And so we have deacons here who are going to allow the elders to focus on what they're supposed to do. God gifted you to preach and teach and to evangelize and to lead or administrate or whatever you do. You do that. Over here, we're gifted with the gift of helps and mercy and whatnot, and we're going to go into the body, and we're going to take care of the physical needs and uh, the mercy needs and things of the church. We're going to take care of them. And so everybody is working together according to their spiritual gifts. Isn't that how a church is supposed to be? You read in, you know, the four passages on spiritual gifts, it always talks about the church as a body with many members. A member just means a body part. If you're a member of this church, it means you've chosen to add your body part to this church, your hand, your foot. You serve a function. You do something in church, and we need you desperately. Okay? But if, if these, these parts aren't functioning, we don't do well as a church. And if, these, and if I had to walk on my hands today, I wouldn't do very well because my hands are doing something they're not supposed to do. But that's what the elders are doing. They're having to, their hands, but they're, they're being demanded to do feet work. And they, you know, they're having to walk on their hands and the church can only crawl. Okay? They're not focusing on what they're supposed to be doing. And so deacons are essential. But not just anybody can be a deacon. I mean, right now, the church is in a volatile situation. You got Hellenists siding up over Hebrews, and they're fighting. If you just threw any old joker into there, they're going to create even more trouble. If you have a guy who loves to get in there and whip it up, and he's quarrelsome, and he likes to fight, you don't want to put him in the middle of an argument. You're going to have World War III. And so we have to have qualifications for deacons. And so we see even here in Acts 6, there were qualifications that the deacons had to fit. Verse 3. It says, therefore, brothers, because of the need that we see here, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. 
okay? So here we see um, the qualifications for a deacon just briefly being outlined, okay? When you read this, you're supposed to think of what we just talked about two weeks ago, 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1. You need to choose people who are of good reputation. You know what that's another way of saying? People who are above reproach. That's the overarching qualification, spiritual qualification for deacons and elders both. We gotta be above reproach people. You have to be people of good reputation. When people say your name, other people don't roll their eyes. Oh, <laughs> that guy, you know? When, when people say your name, they're like, mm, better watch out for him. When people say your name, they're like, that dirty scoundrel cheated me out of money, never paid me back. Okay, these are people with good reputations. They're people that are above reproach. And so men of good reputation, uh, they, you know, deacons here, they have to be, uh, we're putting them in a volatile situation, so they need to be the best of the best in the church because part of their job is to maintain unity within the church. That's why one of the qualifications of a deacon is he can't be double-tongued. Saying one thing over here, saying another thing over here. Hey, pastor, hey, how things are good? And then he goes over here and says, that no good pastor, can you believe what I heard about him? Oh my goodness, if only we had some better guy than this weirdo, you know, uh, that's double-tongued. We can't be duplicitous. And so you can't send a divisive, angry, mean-natured, discord-sowing deacon into the middle of church problems, or he's just going to fuel the flames, right? And so there are qualifications that a deacon has to fit. We can't let some, just any old person, masquerade as an agent of peace and then stir up even more problems in the church. So they have to have qualifications. So he has to be above reproach, a good reputation. And when you find men who are above reproach and they're they of good reputation, of, of sound heart and mind, they're not quarrelsome, they're not given to wine, you know, they're not drunkards, they're not strikers, they're not fighting people, they're, they're good godly examples to follow. They rule their household well. When you put people like that into the right position, what, what happens in the church? What does that verse, next verse say? And what they said pleased the whole gathering. Now, this word pleased here means, uh, literally, it means that we settle people down. It means to soften somebody's heart. Because sometimes whenever you have humans in the same building, we bump into each other, and so that can raise the tension of an institution, be it a home, your job, or a church. And, and tension can get raised when, when even just a couple of people are fighting in the church. It raises the tension of a church, doesn't it? Everybody comes in kind of tiptoeing. You know, and it's, it's awkward. But when you put good men in these deacon positions who are qualified, what does it do? It pleases the church. It's, literally, it softens their hearts toward one another. The Hellenists and the Hebrews, it softens their heart toward each other. How do you know you have good qualified deacons serving in a church? Answer, there's not disunity. They soften the hearts of people. How do you know you have people in place who are maybe not as qualified? You have, on, not saying that there's never a problem. You're going to have good deacons and still have problems in the church. But they handle it and they soften the hearts of the people. But if your church is living with continual contention, dissension, disorder, friends, you have deacons who don't quite understand what their job is. It's to bring that tension down. Okay? It's to, it's to soften the hearts of people toward one another. And so the church found many people who fit this qualification. Most of these would go on, interestingly enough, to even go into full-time ministry, evangelists and things like that. It says they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. What else do we know of Stephen? 
also the church's first martyr, wasn't he? Good man, a man who's willing to die for his faith. It says they chose Philip. What do we know about Philip? He later on, later on is described also as an evangelist. Uh, it says, and friends, I'm just going to be honest with you. I had to look up these pronunciations just like you do. They don't teach you this kind of stuff in Bible college. Okay, but I did look it up. Okay, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas. Got past that. Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. And it says they took these godly men and they set them before the apostles. They prayed and laid hands upon them. Now, Stephen is, being, is described as being exceptional even among the deacons. He's a man who is full of faith in the Holy Spirit. He's full of faith. He trusts God. He knows God's word. He follows God's word. He wants to do life in church God's way. Stephen doesn't have any ulterior motives. He's not trying to manipulate and control people in life and situations. He's not trying to be that guy. He's, he's full of faith. He trusts God. He wants to do his home like God wants him to do. He wants to do church like God wants him to. He does relationships like God wants him to. He's full of faith. But more than that, it says he's full of the Holy Spirit. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. What does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? It just means to be controlled. The Bible says don't be filled with wine so as to be controlled by it, you know, and fight and cuss and beat people up. Be, but rather, in that same way, be so filled up with the Word of God and the Spirit of God that He controls your actions, and you become obedient to the Spirit of God that's in you. And how, do we, how can we tell when somebody is filled with the Spirit? It's not that they pass out on the ground or speak in an angelic tongue. Friends, you're filled with the Spirit when we see the fruit of the Spirit in your life. You look outside, you see a tree, you see oranges growing on it. What can you say? That's an orange tree. It identifies you. So when we see somebody and we see fruit hanging on the branches of their life, we can look at that and say, that person is filled with the Holy Spirit. Why? Because Galatians 5, and 23, I see love, right? The fruit or the evidence of the Spirit of God in your life is love, joy, peace, patience, and you can read, okay? These things are present in their life. And friends, uh, you see this in a deacon. Sometimes if you think of deacons and you've been to some churches that were less than healthy, you see the word deacon, you think of some crusty old guy in a three-piece suit, and he's just mean and judgmental and harsh to people, and he's just, that's not a deacon at all. Can we just dissolve that opinion of what a deacon is? Deacons are the best guys in your church. Well, they're supposed to be, right? I mean, they're the godliest among you. They're full of the Holy Spirit. These people are those things. Deacons are people who are loving people. You like to be around them. They're joyful people. They're people who make peace. They're people who are patient with you. It means they can endure much suffering under you. They're long-fused. They're good people. They're faithful. They're gentle, which means meekness. They're willing to line up under God-given authority. You like being around good deacons. They're good people. They just make you feel better about life, and you feel like you can move on and sing, and you just feel good. That's what a deacon looks like. He is full of the Holy Spirit most importantly is love. Frankly, that's the most important of all those. Some would argue that the, all the fruit of the Spirit are really just different shades of love. I mean, when you sum up the whole Bible, what did Jesus say? Love God and love others. Okay, and so love, 1 Corinthians 13, by the way, 7, it says that uh, when, when talking about love, it describes them saying that love bears all things. It believes all things. It endures all things. They're, they're loving people. We'll touch on that more a little bit later. Okay? So let's, br let's briefly move on here. Uh, after they laid hands on them, which simply means that the church selected them, 
they gave them church authority. Okay, we, we believe you're a good deacon. Let's look at what a deacon actually does because we're sitting here, we're thinking a lot of us were like deacon, deacon, deacon. I don't know, are they an usher? Is that what a deacon does? You know, we don't know what a deacon is. Um, but let me say this about deacons first. A deacon was a role in the church. It was not an honorary title. A deacon is a role that somebody fulfills in the church. It's not an honorary title. Well, what do you mean? Look at this example here. Why'd they pick deacons? Is it because they're like, you know what? I just want to honor Randy, or I just want to honor Dave Huffman here. I just want to be like, you know what? You're just such a great guy. Let's put a name tag on him so we can all be like, that David Huffman right there. He, he's dying inside right now. He hates that kind of stuff because he's a humble guy. But um, we don't do it for that reason. In fact, if you want to be a deacon because you want people to, you want to strut around and people to look at you, you're, you're in it for the wrong reason. I mean, half the time people don't know who you are anyway. We're going to solve that. But um, when we talk about a deacon, it's a, it's a role you fulfill. Why were deacons chosen? Not because we wanted to honor people, but why? There was a problem in the church. The deacons do something. There's no such thing as a New Testament deacon who isn't actively serving the church doing the work of a deacon. No such thing. If you don't do deacon work, not a deacon. Do deacon work, you are a deacon because it's a role, not a title. It's important that we know that. I mean, if I, all of a sudden I go, you know what, Randy, I'm really exhausted here. I'm not, I'm not gonna be a pastor. I, I just, I'm not gonna do pastoral work here anymore. Is that okay with you? Uh, in fact, hey, who can get me a job? Greg, he can hook me up with Marathon somewhere, HR maybe, and I'm gonna move up to Finley, Ohio. Would you still call me your pastor? Why not? Because I'm not fulfilling the role of a pastor. You see, a pastor is something you do in the church. It's a role that you play and fulfill. It's the same thing with a deacon. It's a role that we fulfill. It's a job that we do. If we don't do the job of a deacon, we're not a deacon. If we're doing the job of the deacon, we are a deacon in the church. Now, that's not to say people can be a deacon and then, you know, take some time off and then serve as a deacon again. But a deacon is a role that you are playing within the body of Christ, just as a pastor does. So what does a deacon do? Well, their word, the term itself, diakonos, comes from the Greek word diakonis, which means somebody who labors in the dust. A deacon is someone who gets their hands dirty because it's a service role. We send them into the thick of it. And in this particular case, what were the deacons actually physically doing? <laughs> Ding dong, here's your food, okay? That's what they're doing. They're delivering food to people. They're doing activity, busy work of the church that's burdening the elders. And so they're doing active, active service type work. And so I would sum up what a deacon does with three words. And you see them right there. Unity, care, and overflow. Unity is their primary purpose. It's the reason deacons were brought in to begin with. There was a problem in the church. We need deacons to help put out fires. We need them to be agents of peace within the church. Because if the church isn't at peace, the church is not moving forward in evangelism. People aren't getting discipled. People aren't giving. People aren't encouraged. Jesus is not going out into this community if there is infighting. And so we have deacons to help us with that. Okay? So in a church, not that you've ever been in one, but a church down the street. I'm not going to say which one, but down the street. They have problems, right? So we don't. That's a joke. Um, but some churches that you've been in, you'll hear things like slander and gossip in a church. You know the difference, by the way? Gossip is when you share something about somebody, but it is true, right? You know, so I go, oh, by the way, uh, you know, Jimmy and his wife. Why? Jimmy and his wife are going to counseling, right? You heard that? Oh, yeah, I am. Mean, you want to know why they're going to counseling, right? 
Jimmy's into pornography. No. Yes, he is. Okay. And then that person says, should we be talking about this? And then they defend themselves. They say something like, uh, oh, it's true, though. If it's true, does that make it okay? Let me answer that for you. No, it's still not okay. It's called gossip. Just because it's true does not give us permission to share it far and wide with people. Sometimes people will say, well, it's nothing I wouldn't say to their face. Does that make it okay? As long as I'm willing to say it to their face that I can say it behind their back now, that's still not love. The Bible doesn't give you that permission. Just because it's true and just because you would say it to the face or did say it to their face doesn't mean you should share it. What you have is a brother who is hurting in sin. What do we do with that person? Galatians 6.1 says, you who are spiritual, go to him privately in a spirit of meekness and fear, gentility and humility. You talk to them and you ask questions. Hey, brother, I see this. Help me understand this about your life. I want to help you. I love you and I want to help you through this. Okay, that's, that's what it looks like. We don't gossip as a church. What about slander? Slander is when you say something about somebody and it may or may not be true. Uh, you make presumptive statements about people or just flat out lie. You know, uh, I'm going to keep bothering David because he's in the front row here. You know, I saw David Huffman over at the food fair the other day. Yeah. I know he's got a problem with me. Really? How do you know? Well, I was shopping in the cereal aisle and David starts to push his cart down the aisle. Then as soon as he saw my cart, you know what he did? He pulled his cart out and he went to another aisle. I know he's mad at me. Frankly, I don't like him anymore. Don't like his family. Don't like, I can't imagine he's a deacon in that church. I don't know why. What have I done? I've slandered him. Do I know that Deacon has, by the way, David's the sweetest guy you'll ever meet. That's why I can use him. You laugh at that because you know that's not him. Why is that a problem? I've made a presumptive statement about my brother and I have harmed his name in front of other people. Do I know this to be true of David, that he's got a problem with me? No, I didn't confirm it. What should I do if I think David has a problem? Matthew 18, I go directly to David privately. I don't tell other people. I go privately to David. Hey, man, I just, I saw that you were, this is probably stupid, but I saw that we were in food fair the other day. You started coming down my aisle and you took off. I just want to make sure that uh, everything's okay between us, that you weren't trying to avoid me. Ah, he forgot the eggs. I always forget the eggs too. You know, and that's what, and that's probably all it was. He forgot the eggs like every other man, you know? He's buying plenty of Pop-Tarts, but he forgets the eggs. And so we don't make presumptive statements about other people or the church. Well, I just know the church is doing this because this is why they're wanting to do it. We're assuming motive of somebody. What, does that get us into trouble? When you assume the motive of people, it's gonna burn every relationship you know to the ground. We never assume. If we do assume something, what should we do? We should assume the best of them. That's what 1 Corinthians 13 says. When it talks about love, you know, 1 Corinthians 13, you've got it decoupaged on your wall, bathroom wall, but you don't really stop and think about what it's saying. 1 Corinthians 13 says love bears all things, it believes all things, it hopes all things, it endures all things. And so you and deacons alike, we, we love one another. To, to bear all things means we conceal or hide the faults of others. That's what it means to bear. We conceal or hide the faults of others. Does it mean we ignore sin in the church? No. It means you go privately to them, but you're not trying to reveal it to everybody. Hey, everybody want to know all the bad things about Brad over here? You think he's a great youth pastor? Here's what his life is really like. No, it means if Brad has an issue, I go to Brad privately. But to everybody else, I keep it covered because I honor Brad and I want to protect his reputation, and I hope he'll do that for me. 
So to bear all things means we protect the reputations. We conceal or hide the faults of others. To believe all things means that we have, it's literally the word faith. That we have faith in people. It means we assume the best of them. You may look like, you know, David may have looked like he was trying to avoid me in food fair, but what am I going to assume? I'm going to assume, dadgummit, he forgot those eggs again. Okay, I'm going to assume the best of him. And if I cannot do that in my heart, I'll go to him privately. That's what it means to believe all things. Hope all things means I expect good. I'm optimistic about people. I expect good from them. And to uh, endure all things means I bear up under a lot of pain. It means I'm not easily offended. Friends, deacons lead the charge in these four qualities. This is why deacons are here. They're agents of peace in the church. They conceal and hide the faults of others. They protect you. They have faith in others. They assume the best of you. They don't assume the worst of people or the church. They expect good from others. They're optimistic about you. They bear up under a lot of pain. You, it, it takes a lot to offend a deacon. He can endure all things. He's not easily offended. He's not easily bothered. It takes a lot to ruffle his feathers. Why? Because he's walked with God for a long time. Okay, So he's, a, he's an agent of peace in the church to preserve unity. Let's look at the other two very quickly. Care. Deacons care for the flock. Why do we need deacons to care for the flock? It's because pastors and elders, they're not omnipresent. I don't know if you figured that out or not, but sometimes, like we talked about last week, pastors are expected to be at every party, every event, every hospital visitation, visit every shut-in, visit every... Can one man do that? If your church has about 50 people... If you want a church bigger than 50 people, you've got to take the ministry from one man and do like Jesus did in John 6. He gives the bread to his disciples who give it to the people. Can you imagine somebody sitting on the ground in John 6 saying, I don't think so. I'm not taking bread from Peter. I want Jesus himself to bring me that bread. I want him to bring me that bread. I want to bring it right here. Jesus has to do it. The bread that Peter gives you comes from Jesus. It's just as good as what Jesus has. And so sometimes, friends, we have deacons in the church who visit people. Do you know the, the visitation of a deacon is just as good as any pastor? Maybe better? Because they're specifically gifted in service and mercy. When he prays for you, do you know his prayers are just as good as a pastor's prayer? Sure are. Okay. And so the deacons, they bear the burden together of ministry and, and making sure that people don't slip through the gaps why in churches we have deacon care groups. Did you know that every member of this church is assigned to a deacon? That's right. Every member of this church who's made a formal declaration, I mean, we don't put just every first-time visitor, hey, first-time visitors, we're glad to have you here today. We're going to put you on a deacon list. Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> I think we're doing this a little too early in this relationship, okay? But with our members, you're in a deacon care group. That means you have a deacon who prays for you, a deacon who will call you, reach out to you, a deacon who at times will visit you. Why do we do this? So that nobody slips through the cracks here in this church. It's what, it's what deacons do. They help care for the flock. In Acts 6, what did they do? They went door to door to the widows. So deacons help care. And they also handle the overflow. They handle the, there's a lot of junk that just falls into the lap of those who are serving as pastors and elders. And it's a big burden. And sometimes pastors are like, help! It's like your mom when she comes in the doors and she has 15 Walmart sacks lined up on her arms, you know, and she asks for the kids to come by and take some of that off. That's what deacons are. In this particular church, there was a lot of service work they didn't have time to do. They said, it's not good for me to leave the ministry of prayer and the word that I'm gifted to do to do all of the service activities that I'm not very gifted to do. 
I can't do both. And so the deacons handled the overflow. Deacons have often been compared, uh, if the church is a car, the deacons are the shock absorbers. If you're a little kid, you ever ride in a little red radio flyer wagon, brother pull you behind on a gravel driveway like I did, hard rubber wheels, no shock absorbers at all. And so you're sitting here riding down the hill on that, it's chattering your teeth out. Can you imagine going 75 mile an hour doing that? It'll break the wagon, it'll break you. So in a car that goes that fast, what do we have? We have shock absorbers. Because in life, in church ministry, difficult things happen. People get fights. People get in trouble. People get hurt. People need help. People need uh, assistance with uh, addictions, or they need counsel for other things. And, and so deacons help offload some of that work. So they're the shock absorber, because if you don't have good shock absorbers on a car, it's going gonna, it's gonna to break the car. And so the church gets broken if we don't have good deacons to help absorb that overflow. What does that look like? It means the elders and the deacons, we work hand in hand. We're partners in ministry. And we communicate clearly together. Hey, what can we do to, to help offload? What are some things that are distracting our elders from doing their work? You know, and we want to take some of that onto ourselves. Um, <clears throat> the last thing we're going to look at here is just uh, briefly the organization of, uh, of deacons. Oh, no, no, no. I'm, I'm jumping ahead. Number four, the result of having deacons. Look at verse seven here. When we put godly men in this position, does the Bible show us what happens? It sure does. Verse seven, it says, and. Let's stop there. When you see and there, he's tying what he's about to say to the things he just said. Because we put deacons in place, what we're about to read took place. And the word of God continued to increase and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. I think it's interesting, the beginning of Acts 6, the church is in disarray, and they're beating up against each other, and they're causing trouble. As soon as we bring deacons into the mix, what do we read? The hearts of the church were softened. <sighs> they, they just you know, let all the air out of that balloon. They, they let all that tension off. And then what do we read as a result of that lack of tension in the church? Because of that lack of tension, the word of God increased and the number of disciples multiplied greatly. The word of God increased because you have the elders and those gifted in speaking gifts operating in their gifting. They're, 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 they're strategizing and they're training people for discipleship and evangelism. They're reaching out to the community because they're not saddled and burdened with all these things. But it also says, because of, the, because of deacons, it says the number of disciples multiplied greatly. Not added, multiplied. And not just a little, but greatly. This word greatly comes from the root word that means violent. The church experienced violent growth. Why? Because we had elders and deacons serving in their proper roles. And the church was softened toward one another. Our hearts are gentle toward one another. This is the result of having good deacons in a church. The church is able to grow violently. And so, friends, we are thankful for our deacons. It says even many of those who are priests, the very people who crucified Jesus, only a year and some change later, some of them are coming to faith. You see, that's what happens when you have a church that's unified with these elders and deacons working together. So let's talk briefly at the very end here, the organization of deacons. Very little in the Bible is said, how do we organize them? How do we choose them? We just know that they do exist. 
We know one thing, that the church gathered together, and the church, that means you all, all you members, you selected from among yourselves people that you feel fit these qualifications. Doesn't say anything beyond that, other than what they do. Does a deacon serve for life? Does he serve terms? Bible doesn't say. There's no right or wrong answer on that one. The one thing I will say is, number one, give your deacons a rest, which I know this church already does. You know, being a deacon is hard work. So you give them a break from time to time. The other thing, too, is there needs to be ongoing accountability with deacons, just as with everybody else. Make sure that they're still qualified. Is it possible for someone that you ordain at age 30? He's on fire for the Lord. We've watched him for 10, 15 years since he was a youth, and he's just on fire for the Lord. And at 30, or we make him a deacon, but by age, say, 48, uh, he starts having a midlife crisis, buys a convertible Toyota Supra, for the first time in his life, or a charger, you know, and, uh, you know, gets gold chains and starts wearing too much cologne and, and it just starts getting very amorous around all the ladies. And all of a sudden you're like, this is not a one-woman man right here. Is that, can that happen? So there needs to be accountability so that the people, just because you are qualified at this age doesn't mean you're still fitting the qualifications at this age. So there needs to be ongoing accountability or else you have the problem that we saw here in Acts 6. Did, do we have on the basis of the early church fathers, did one of these deacons go south later? I believe he did. Remember in Revelation, we talked about the Nicolaitans? They held to the sins of Balaam, you know, immorality and eating meat offered to idols, communing with false gods. Three of the early church fathers, they, they report that it came from the, one of these deacons, a man named Nicholas. Started out well, didn't do so good later. And so we need to make sure that there's an ongoing system of accountability to rest our deacons and to make sure that they are, uh, they're still following well the Lord and qualified. So we're going to end with this. Why would anybody want to be a deacon? I mean, I've already said it's really hard to fit those qualifications of a deacon. I mean, it's, you, gotta be, it's, you, you need the best of your best in those roles. Why would anybody want to be a deacon? Well, at the end of the qualifications of a deacon in 1 Timothy chapter 3, it says this, For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Okay? When they serve well as deacons, this implies, by the way, that it's possible to not serve well. <laughs> Okay. It's possible to be a, have a deacon title but not do the deacon role or have a deacon title, say that you're an agent of peace, but actually you're not. It's possible. But for those that serve well, they get two things from this. And by the way, anybody serving as a deacon needs to do so willingly. We don't guilt or coerce people to be a deacon. You have to have a sense that God is leading you to serve there. But they get two things. One is good standing. It uh, comes from the word Greek word bathmos. We get the word bath. Baths, uh, old-timey baths, they used to be built into the floor, and so you would step down into a bath. And so bathmos means step. And so those who serve as a deacon, they gain, it's, uh, this says themselves, a step. I hate to use this term, but this is exactly what the Greek means. It means a pedestal. We don't put deacons on a pedestal. You're right, deacons shouldn't put themselves on pedestals. But friends, like it or not, if you are a man who is above reproach and you're all these other qualities and you're serving the church faithfully, people are going to look up to you. They're going to look to you as examples to follow, as well they should. Okay? They will look up to you as examples to follow. When a church puts, the, they put, lay their hands upon you and they set you apart for ministry, it says it gives you great confidence in the faith. As believers, especially, I feel like the closer you get to God, the more dirty you feel. 
You ever feel like that? You're like Isaiah, arguably, arguably the godliest man of his day, but when he got close to God, what did he say? Woe unto me, for I am a man of unclean lips. That's Isaiah. Can, can men and women, can we ever feel like there's no way God can use me? I'm just, as you get closer to the Lord, you just feel more dirty. Well, you don't know about me what I know about you. Or, you know, you don't know about me what I know about me. You know, we can feel that way. We feel like, well, God can never use me. Who am I to serve in that role? Who am I to do this? Who am I to do that? And that's where Satan wants you. But when the church looks at your life and you have people who say, we want to lay hands on you because we see you as being above reproach. We see you as having an ordered family, an ordered life, and we see you as a godly example of our church. And we're enough so that we will lay hands on you to confer upon you church recognition. We believe in you. That causes the person to feel like, you know what? Maybe God can use me. It gives them, it says, great confidence in the faith. That now, maybe for the first time, some of these guys are thinking creatively. Hey, how can we do this better? How can we reach new people? How can we do this as a church? What can we do? And they get excited about the faith because you as a church identified and recognized them as somebody who's worthy of following as an example. That's what, it, that's what it does for those who serve in these deacon roles. And we are thankful for our deacons. I'd like just for a moment as we're ending here, we haven't had the Lord's Supper done normally for a little bit where you see your deacons actively serving. They're the ones who typically distribute, you know, the, the juice and the unleavened bread to you. We haven't seen them as much, so I know you're going to hate this because you're behind the scenes, guys, but I want the church to understand who our deacons are, okay? Um, if you, let me start with this. If you're currently serving as a deacon, would you just stand for just a moment? We're not going to humiliate you, but just stand for a moment so the church at least knows who are currently serving as deacons. Okay, now, and so, yes, that's right. <laughs> and if, just a minute, and those of you who have served as deacons, would you join them for a minute? Let's just see those uh, in the church who have served them. Do we have any others here who are not active, but maybe you're still, you've been a deacon in this church. So we'd just like to recognize and thank you guys for your service. They don't seek that recognition for themselves, nor should they. But friends, it's important that the church, it says upon those less visible parts, we bestow greater honor. A lot of times they're working behind the scenes in ways you don't even know. And I think it's important that as a church that we recognize and remember those that you as a church have set apart and said, these are people we trust. These are people that are godly examples that we can follow. And friends, I'm thankful for every one of you who are partners in ministry who help make this church what it is, who soften the hearts of people, who do the work of a deacon, and who do it well. We thank God for you. Okay, let's close in prayer. Our Father, we give thanks this morning that we have a, a church here, God, who for me personally just feels so much like a family to me. And God, I know a large part of that family environment comes from the fact that we have good elders and good deacons here who genuinely desire God's best for the people here. God, we give thanks. For those, I know that deacon roles, they're not, nowhere in the scriptures are they paid roles. There's no good reason for a person to serve as a deacon except that they sense that God wants to use them in this way to serve the kingdom. And so, Lord, for them, I give thanks. I pray, Lord, that you would help us as elders and deacons to work together in harmony, help us to move forward to, together, it, softening the hearts of the church people, God, that we might see the word of God grow and that the, the number of disciples would 
expand rapidly like we, like we talked about here in Acts 6. That the number of disciples experienced violent growth. God, I pray for that today. But we know that can only be done through your son as he unites us. And so, Lord, we submit ourselves to him once again. We ask this in Christ's name. Thank you for spending time with us today. If you would like to make a decision to ask Christ into your heart, click on the link in the show notes and we will be able to help you find your way to Jesus. If you enjoyed today's message, give our podcast channel some love by liking and subscribing to it. And as promised, if you would like more information about Unity, you can connect with us at unitybaptistashland.com or on Facebook at UBC Ashland. Thank you for spending the day with us. We hope that you have a blessed day.